Okay, looks like it's time for us to get going. I'm Rick Matthew. I'm Dean of the McCall School of Business. And welcome, everyone. Great to see you here today for a great Leaders of Action uh, lecture series. This event is hosted by the McCall School of Business and Queen's University of Charlotte. And this is a real opportunity for everyone in attendance to engage with our speakers here today. It's, a, it's an intimate environment where there's an opportunity for you to learn and interact with our speakers today. So please, please take advantage of that. Just wanted to remind everybody, if you don't already know, that leadership development is a big part of the McCall School of Business and our programs, our, our MBA our MS in Talent and Organization Development, and our undergraduate programs in Accounting, Finance, Management, and Marketing. And uh, I, I just want, wanted to let you know that uh, leadership, that our, the university's commitment to leadership has been reinforced under our President Dan Lugo, and uh, you'll continue to see exciting new things happen in the McCall School and at Queen's University around this theme of leadership. And leadership starts with, in the McCall School business, starts with uh, Dr. Will Sparks, the uh, Dennis Thompson Chair of Leadership, who is the host for this event. So I'm going to turn it over to Will, and he will kick us off today. Thank you. Thank you, Dean Matthew. You could probably hear me without this, but I'll stay close enough. Anyway, welcome everyone. We are delighted to have you with us this evening. Appreciate you spending a part of your Wednesday night with us and really excited about the program that we have tonight and our two exceptional speakers and leaders. Um, and so we're going to get started here in just a moment, but I uh, want to welcome you uh, here. I want to uh, reference and make sure that you have the bios for both uh, Amin Adia and Dr. Pamela Oliver. They're on the back of the handout there. And so I'm going to ask them in just a moment to introduce themselves so that we can uh, take full advantage of the time that we have uh, together. You can see here uh, the Amin representing Bank of America, healthcare uh, investment banking, and Dr. Pamela Oliver with Navon Healthcare. And, uh, I have just the, the honor and privilege of knowing both uh, Amin and Pam on a personal level and really appreciate you all being here. So thank you very much. I mean that sincerely and um, and ready to get started. So let me talk a little bit about the format for what we have this evening. Uh, we will have some um, carefully rehearsed spontaneity uh, in the form of some fireside chat questions. And uh, we will go through those questions. Um, and then we will have about, uh, I don't know, usually 15, 20 minutes. Uh, for some audience Q&A. So if you're sitting there and you have a question, uh, it can be about anything that we're talking about or what's on your mind, uh, please you know, hold on to that. We'll have some promise. We'll have some time uh, toward the end of our program uh, to uh, have those questions for our esteemed panel. And then after uh, this, we do end promptly at 6.30 to honor those of you that have class this evening. But immediately upstairs, uh, we will have a reception that will follow. So. Uh, if you can join us for that, we, uh, we would love to have you join us at 6.30 immediately following that. So with that, uh, we're going to get started with our uh, topic today, uh, an update, a COVID update, where do we go from here? 
Um, as Dean Matthew said, though, we do have a, a legacy and an emphasis here on leadership and leadership development. And so I want to start uh, with getting to know our speakers a little bit better. And Pamela, uh, if I can, I'll start with you. Uh, I'd like to ask you if you would tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, your journey, uh, where you were raised and went to school, and uh, maybe your first job. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to see you all, and a um, pleasure to be here this evening. Um, so my name is Pam Oliver. Um, I'm from Eastern North Carolina. I was born and raised in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. So um, I would say it's a rural part of the state. Um, I'm a middle child, so that probably tells you a lot about me. Um, you know, I fight for attention, you know, for a period of time and got it, you know, where I needed to. Um, it's important to know a big part of my why, and I think of who I am today, is because of those roots in Eastern North Carolina. Um, my grandparents were farmers, and my parents, you know, um, did not farm, but we went back uh, every summer from the time I was little through high school to help my grandmother and grandfather on their farm with tobacco, cucumbers, um, you name it. So, I mean, we put their farm or family farm. And um, that was because that was their livelihood. They were small farmers, and they froze what they, um, you know, uh, what they grew. Uh, so I say I started with an organic life that I couldn't appreciate, right? Um, and uh, but it really did teach me a sense of community and about um, looking out for each other. Um, I left Rocky Mount when I was uh, for high school, after high school, and I went to UNC Chapel Hill. So I'm a Tar Hill. Um, great victory on Saturday, I will say, we've been talking about. Um, we, uh, I, I majored in biology, and at that point I didn't know I wanted to go into medicine. Um, and so I stayed at UNC for medical school. And while I was there, I did a um, Master's of Public Health um, in maternal and child health. Um, by that point, I did know that what I discovered my, I really liked was women and children's health in general. And um, that led me to a career in OBGYN. So um, I met my husband while I was in medical school, and um, he was in dental school. And we moved to Winston-Salem for my residency at Wake Forest. Um, and I've been there for 20 years. Um, not at Wake Forest, but four years of residency there. Joined a small private practice. And um, our practice became part of the Navant Health Medical Group um, a few years after I joined it. And um, so I've been in various leadership roles over the course of my, um, uh, of my lifetime to the point now where I have the pleasure of representing um, our entire physician network, our ambulatory uh, medical group. So that's a, that's a um, great task. It's daunting 3,000 physicians and ADPs across 600 plus clinics and um, a very powerful, though, like um, purposeful, I think, leadership opportunity for me um, that I embrace. And the other part you asked is uh, my first job. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. My, my, I was telling my brother makes on me, he says, gosh, who's 30 and they get their first real job? Uh, because, like, that's our medical career. I mean, you, like, work. I didn't have, like, high school jobs. I did, however, before I was officially a doctor as my first real, real job, um, I spent a um, summer working as a rental agent at the apartment complex that I lived in when I was in um, undergrad. And so I, I thought I was doing something. I mean, it was just a summer job. 
And then, um, unfortunately, it is true, my first real paycheck was probably as a physician. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Uh, I have been asked by Jane that we can use the microphones. We, we have for a live stream. stream. I'm sorry. We were live streaming, and so I apologize for that. So that way they can hear us. I hear you now. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Thank you both. All right. Thank you. Okay. So um, we will be sure to access these. So Amin, let me ask you um, the same question. Maybe if you could start a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born and raised, your journey. Uh, up to this point and your first job as well. Sure, sure. So uh, I was born in Iran. That's where my family's from. That's where I was born. Uh, we left when we were you know, pretty young in the 70s uh, and moved to New York. Um, my dad, uh, who's a physician, retired now, but uh, did his residency uh, in New York at Mount Sinai Hospital there. And, uh, you know, when he finished up, um, they, uh, you know, as part of the program, you try to find you know, where you're going to go practice, and uh, there was a small rural town in North Carolina called Hamlet, North Carolina, which is where we moved, um, which is about two hours, two and a half hours from Charlotte to the east, and uh, we moved to this small rural town, you know, family of Persians, you know, a small town that, you know, uh, was not necessarily uh, uh, all accepting of, uh, of Warners, is probably the best way to put it. Um, so, uh, you know, we lived there, um, and he was the only pediatrician uh, in the county, actually, for, for many years. Uh, so, yeah, I got a very similar experience, uh, like Pam, on the, uh, you know, the small, small town upbringing, um, and, uh, and it does teach a lot of, a lot of great life lessons. Uh, you know, my, uh, my first job, uh, I guess it was in high school when I turned 16, I went to work at Walmart. I was a uh, cashier up front. I did get promoted to uh, the, uh, the gaming section in the back I was able to uh, sell licenses for fishing and hunting and everything else, but I did view it as a, as a promotion. But that was probably my first paycheck, um, you know, at 16. Um, I also went to UNC Chapel Hill. That's where I met my wife uh, at the School of Public Health. I did go into, uh, into college uh, thinking I was going to be a physician. Uh, my dad was a physician. We had physicians in the family, so that was a natural thing for me to do. Uh, organic chemistry is what uh, kicked my butt, so uh, <laughs> that didn't work out. I then thought I was going to be a lawyer, and uh, for some reason that didn't work out either, and decided to uh, apply into the School of Public Health at UNC. And uh, they had a more of a business administration, health policy administration track at UNC School of Public Health, which you know seemed to fit you know uh, some of the criteria that I had. It was healthcare related. It was business related. Uh, and it worked out well, and that's actually where my where I met my wife, who's sitting here in the audience as well. So, um, so anyway, so I uh, graduated from UNC Chapel Hill, and uh, you know was really trying to figure out where to go next um, with the career. And there was this uh, this industry called investment banking, which I had no clue what it was at the time. Um, and I did some uh, some research and uh, found a job as a uh, analyst, a banking analyst at it was called First Union Bank, which was here in Charlotte. And you know, I will say that there was uh, there was one woman in the uh, recruiting uh, area at First Union at the time who gave me a shot. You know, and she uh, she gave me some guidance on how to think about the role and the job. And um, I was a very atypical, I guess, candidate for you know that type of role. Most uh, most students kind of know they're going to go into banking. 
uh, a little bit early on in the college career and you know taking classes and prepared for it. So she uh, she got me in, got me an interview, and um, and the rest is history. You know, I started out as a as an analyst there. So I was at uh, First Union Wachovia Wells Fargo for about uh, 25 years, and a couple of years ago uh, moved over to uh, to Bank of America, and uh, I'm in the uh, again uh, you know in the investment banking area, but I focus on healthcare companies, so for-profit healthcare companies we work with businesses on merger and acquisition advisory work. We help them raise capital um, that's very specific to the healthcare industry. So I think there's probably a life lesson in there. I'm not sure what it is, but maybe as we get toward the end of this and think about giving advice, the fact that you were uh, not a business major, you know, she said she gave you some guidance, she gave you a shot. Now you're the managing director in the healthcare sector for investment bank with Bank of America. And I think there's something there for us to, to think about. I mean, you follow your passion, and you, you know, instead of trying to be something you're not, you can end up, you know, exactly where you are now, but you did it through, and I hear that so often, people that maybe have a little bit of a non-traditional or atypical path um, that can end up very happy and, and sort of at the, at the top of their profession. So with that in mind, let, let me let me sort of come back to that, I mean, with your, would you tell us a little bit about exactly what your role is now with, with Bank of America. Um, and if there's such a thing as a typical day for you, or maybe if there's, if you think now that hopefully knock on wood, we'll talk about that in a minute, getting on the side of that. I think your travel's picking up now. Could you tell us a little bit about, walk us through sort of what a, when does your day start? When does it end? Just a typical day. Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, what, uh, what we do is, um, is very uh, well. It's, it's all encompassing in that we work with companies all around the world. Um, so you know, it's global. So my day could start, you know, five in the morning, six in the morning with conference calls. It could go late into the evening. Um, there's really no uh, predictable schedule necessarily. Uh, so you know, the clients that we work with, and it's a very client-driven business. Um, and uh, you know what. Uh, I would say pre-COVID, there was a lot of travel, you know, probably two to three days a week. Um, could be more depending, could be less, but, you know, probably average three days a week. Um, I would travel anywhere, usually in the U.S., um, but always, uh, you know, always made a point to make it to, you know, some of the, uh, some of the European countries, um, you know, once a quarter or so. But, um, but our clients are all over the place, and uh, so you're basically there for your clients. So, you know, where they are, what they need, you're... You're in the client business, and um, and we're focused on delivering for them. Uh, you know, it's uh, what I would say is when you're helping companies, uh, advising them on whether they want to sell or whether they want to buy some other companies. It's a it's a lot of work. Um, you know, we have great people that work with me who do a lot of the analysis, but you know, for me personally, it's about um, client advice. It's about industry expertise. It's about bringing you know ideas and. Um, and such to uh, to the conversation and dialogue with uh, with the you know the executives of the companies, um, and as a result, um, you know, not too dissimilar from being a physician, you have to be available at all times. Um, and you know, the good news is I've got a very supportive family who uh, reminds me that I'm you know on the phone a lot, but uh, <laughs> but nevertheless um, have been very supportive, and I think that's what you need in this type of industry if you're going to do this kind of job. Um, vacations are great, but you're usually you know, working at some point uh, during vacation. 
Uh, the weekends, there's usually some type of, you know, calls or something you have to do. But uh, so there's never a, a quiet moment necessarily. But you know, uh, I still I'm still striving to find some balance. Uh, you know, from that perspective. But I think it's also a nature of the job and the industry that you're in. So. Let me, let me ask you this, given that Wells Fargo uh, headquartered in San Francisco and B of A is headquartered here in Charlotte, are your, are your days ending any earlier now that you, you're headquartered in Charlotte or does it not matter? No, it, it's, uh, it really doesn't matter. In fact, you know, what, what I do at Bank of America, um, you know, headquarters are here, but most of the people that I work with in my line of business are actually in New York or San Francisco or Europe. So, so really, that's really... Um, that really doesn't matter. It's uh, it's really just a function of, you know, what's going on with that specific client that you're working with on any given day. So you know, it could span any any hour of the day. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and Pam, let, let me ask you the same question. And I'm you guys, I'm really sort of with some fear and trembling asking this question, given that being on the front line of the uh, healthcare the world we're living in right now, um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your sort of primary responsibilities in your role and then if, if there's such a thing as a typical day either pre-COVID or, or now what, what does that look like for you? Sure so um, I mentioned that I have the pleasure of leading our physician network so my teams um, we focus on the operations so if you come into our clinics what does it look like to make sure we deliver the compassionate personalized care operations, keeping the lights on, you know, all of the stuff maybe even behind the scenes that you don't see, our teams are committed to that and figuring out our strategy for what is the care that we need to evolve, grow, add um, programmatically. Um, and I'd say increasingly, you know, um, evolving and innovating in healthcare because it is, the system is broken in so many ways. And um, we don't control all of it, but accepting what parts of the system we can impact and should impact to make sure we deliver the safest, highest quality care um, um, that provides value to our patients. And so we think about that day in, day out. Um, there is not a typical day. I'd say, you know, I'm, I told you I'm an OBGYN physician, and um, almost all of our physician leaders still provide some clinical care because it's important for us to stay grounded in what it's like to get back to our purpose. I mean, that's why I went into this to help people um, to really connect with people. And that I start my week, so I chose my Monday mornings to be my clinic days. I uh, do not take call anymore, but I see my, my patients in the office on Monday mornings, and I tell people it's to ground me. I start my week focused on our patients, in our clinics, with my team, um, and that just gets my week off. Um, People leave me alone. I mean, that's the time where they know I'm not answering their emails and don't call me unless it's an emergency, and uh, it works. I can just focus on the patients. Um, I, there, the, there is no typical day. I say pre-COVID, I did spend a lot more time on the road. Um, you know, I live in Winston-Salem. Um, about probably almost 60% of our clinics are though are in the Charlotte area, um, and then we have clinics also at the coast. And so um, I would spend a lot more time driving to Charlotte, meeting with people, um, you know, once or twice a week. Um, I say I spend like a, a lot more time on Zoom these days, um, you know, to collaborate. But that collaboration is with other executive team members on like, you know, the work we're doing around health equity or um, communications or just the financial aspect of our operations. 
um, I spend a lot of time rounding. So I believe that it is important to connect with our teams and to have bi-directional conversation with them um, to really figure out what are we doing well, where do we have opportunities, and build that relationship. And so I, I make that something that all of our teams value, but I try to do it as much as I can. So sometimes I'll have an entire day where I spend it rounding with one of our um, leaders to go in our spaces to talk to people, find out what's going well, um, and engaging with them. And then externally, you know, it spends um, quite a bit of time talking to others who are either in healthcare, who we're partnering with in some way um, to figure out, you know, how do we do this together? Because we know that there are lots of things that we will never be able to do as a, um, as a health system or as physicians alone. Um, and so I spend quite a bit of my time doing that. Okay. Well, let, me, let me ask this next question of you, sort of building off of that. Um, as Dean Matthew mentioned, we have a, a, a very uh, sort of um, signature focus on leadership, leadership development. So I want to ask the next two questions about leadership and resiliency, something that we've all been thinking a lot about over the last 18 months, resiliency. But let me start with leadership, um, Pam, and ask you for um, how do you think others would describe your style as a leader? So a two-part question. So how would you describe your style? And the second, um, did you have an early mentor or, or early influence, maybe a parent or a relative or someone else, that helped inform the style that you have today? So I think others would say I'm collaborative, right? I, I, I think that my overall leadership style is relationship driven, you know? Um, I do believe that we get the best thoughts and we do the best when we have diverse opinions and people able and empowered to speak up. Um, I often tell people I, I'm a strong, I love the work we do, Will, and Will's work with my team. Um, I want to build strong leaders who then I can set free to innovate, evolve, and do their work. I don't believe, I don't want to micromanage. I think I'm failing if I'm micromanaging and having to do those things. Um, so, I, But at the same time, I think that it's important to have um, direction and clarity on what execution results mean. I'm a continual improvement person, so I'm always thinking about how, what are we doing? How can we do something different, right? Not change for change sake, but, you know, thinking about doing things better. And I instill in our teams a sense of not babysitting the work you have, but what is your job to grow it, to, you know, help me not have to be the subject matter expert because I rely on you to know what we should be doing and to, to do that. So that's a little bit of my approach, and um, it works well. It works well um, in the right settings, but I'll say that one of the things COVID really showed is um, I had to flex between styles of leadership. You know, there's a time to sit around and debate and have, build consensus, and honestly, things were changing so rapidly in, in March of 2020 um, that there were times where it was a command center. Like, you know, I need you to do this. And it was very much like, here's what we got, what we have to do. Um, and so I, I think that I, I, I'm glad that I was able to flex in and out of various styles, even though my traditional style would be relationship driven. Um, and I'll go back. I don't know that there was a single mentor in healthcare or in business that um, influenced me, but I will say back to my upbringing, um, I believe a lot of my strength and my focus and the way that I you know, relate to people and lead comes from the sense of community that I develop through my family. You know, um, my grandmother 
Uh, we just lost her. She was 99 years, 10 months. So she was just almost 100. Um, but as a matriarch of the family, very strong, but very much selfless and about this community. And it was that we do well together, but if we leave anyone behind, then we don't succeed. You know, it was that sense. And so um, I feel that she was a strong leader in the community, respected, um, and has a legacy that's not about titles or degrees but is probably more powerful, I think, and has had more impact than I think some people do now. We do all check the boxes and, and do all those things. Um, and so I'd say that's probably one of the biggest influences for me. Yeah. My great-grandpa uh, Kelly was a tobacco farmer in Oconee County in South Carolina. And I, I didn't know that about your, your family, so I, I just wonder about some of the similarities there, because I think that there's a very unique style i think it comes out of that sort of approach which is if you don't do it it doesn't get done and you know it's it's can be tough love kind of thing but, but ultimately very supportive uh, as well so thank you thank, thank you. you yeah let me let me let me ask you the same question so how would uh and then we can ask julie here to uh to verify your <laughs> leadership style how would others describe your style and you referenced someone to give you a shot but i'm curious if there was anyone or maybe there's a person that had an influence on your style to lead others today yeah sure and will i have to say um i had not met Pamela before for this evening but uh you found uh two very interesting yeah. panel members here who are in healthcare but in very different ways so um, my leadership style is a little bit more of a micromanager, <laughs> um, and uh, that's a you know something I continue to work on every day. But uh, you know I would say most people, and I and I recognize it, I acknowledge it. Uh, I think people will say that I do uh, tend to get in the weeds a lot. Um, but you know, look, I think um, I think it's a personal style. I think uh, you clearly want to uh, create a path, you know, for your colleagues, and it's in particular in my line of business. The younger, um, you know, bankers who are coming in out of college or MBA school, uh, you want to create a path where they feel like they're getting the best experience, um, and you sometimes do have to learn to let go and, and trust and, and give people the responsibilities that they deserve. Um, but you know, I think uh, that takes time. Um, I'm in in this industry now for 27 years, and I'm still trying every day. But uh, but I would say that's probably you know one of the things that um, yeah, well, that's how I would describe my leadership style. Um, you know, I think uh, I think from a mentor perspective, um, I just like Pam, I can't think of anyone specifically that um, I would identify as a mentor. But I do, you know, vividly remember, you know, when I was coming up the ranks within investment banking, you know, senior people like myself today that did give me a shot. You know that that were able to let go and let me kind of lead, you know, a discussion, a meeting or a conference call, whatever it may be. Uh, and you learn by, you know, mistakes and you get better at it and you learn how to do it better the next time. So I think, um, you know, there are many individuals, you know, over the last 27 years that I can think of that, that were, um, you know, that were in a position to give me that chance, you know, um, when I needed it uh, to be able to, um, to be able to grow and, and and um, and uh, you know do a better job you know that that role. What do you think they saw in you to to let you lead that conference call or to or even to give you the shot to begin with? What what? Yeah. Because I think you have a very, my view, a very sincere, very 
understated but but intense way of, of, of you know very focused and dedicated and passionate about what you're doing. But I'm just well, I'm curious. What you, or maybe they told what did they see in you when they said Amin's got this? Yeah. Well, I think um, I think having initiative and uh, just wanting it um, is the most important thing. You know, I give the, some of the advice that I give. You know, if I think about you know the younger uh, bankers within you know Bank of America that I work with now, you know, that could be ages 22 through 35, yeah. you know, whatever you pick the range. Um, is uh, don't be scared, you know, to walk into you know someone senior's office and and discuss an idea that you have. It may be the worst idea ever, but you know those are the individuals that you remember. You know when you know when I'm sitting you know in my seat and I have someone who either calls me these days it's more calling or having a Zoom, but you know and and says, hey, what do you think about this? I thought about this idea. Here are the three reasons why I think it makes sense. What do you think? Um, you know, whether it's a great idea or not really doesn't matter to me. Uh, I just have a, you know, much more respect. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it's, it's experiences like that. I do think that, unfortunately, a lot of people these days have the tendency of being a little bit more sheltered, you know, not coming out and, and having those types of conversations with their senior leaders uh, and taking a little bit of risk. But uh, but those are the ones that, you know, that I remember. And I think that's how I approached it, which is uh, probably what gave the confidence to the senior people that I worked with at the time. Excellent. You know, um, if I can, maybe you said that. So I remember when you talked about that um, micromanagement, it's been, I've been on a journey because I did a leadership program, I remember several years ago, and um, one of the things that they asked you to do is think about those messages you've heard over your life and how you may have overcooked them a little bit. And one of mine was, if you want it done right, you do it yourself, right? And that was like, you know, something we said. And so they literally, I, ch I had to be, I was challenged to say intentionally to my team for the next few weeks, I trust you to, like very implicitly, I trust you to. And so I say we're all in therapy as leaders, you know, we're always a journey and you never stop learning and yep. triggering. But I, I think the part for me is figuring out when, because my chief operating officer will tell me you're in the weeds. And I was like, okay, I am, um, I recognize it and now I have my trigger and I can move forward. So I'd say we're all on a journey. Yeah. But I, I agree with that. And I think the other piece to that is what happens when your team does make a mistake? Right. And, you know, it's very easy to kind of go back to like, I should have done it myself. Right. And uh, and so part of, you know, part of, I guess, maturing in, in my industry in particular is knowing how to give that kind of feedback. Right. Because, you know, uh, I'm sure if anyone knows anything about investment banking, there's, you know, great stories, you know, years ago where, you know, you think about firms on Wall Street and how bankers would act and. You know, the behaviors and everything else. And it's very easy to have that type of harsh, um, you know, that harsh approach, you know, in particular with younger bankers when they make mistakes. And I think, you know, we're in an environment now where you can't do that, right? You can't, you can't open your door and just yell out the door and, and chastise someone for making a mistake or saying something they shouldn't have or doing something they shouldn't have. So you have to take a very different approach to it. And, you know, so I think that takes time to learn and it's a skill set that you have to learn as well. And how do you communicate, you know, with your team members um, when they don't do it right and when they don't do it to your standards? So, again, it's a, it is an evolution. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'll probably continue to, to evolve until the day I retire. But, yeah. So the 
Yoda principle, you must unlearn what you have learned. So I love that. Like consciously stating, you know, this sort of thing, I trust you to do it. Um, and I had that one drilled into me too. If you want something done right, do it yourself. So let, let me, uh, I've got some questions about COVID, but before we move into that, maybe one more leadership question. And Pam, if I can, I'll start with you on this. This has to do with resiliency. So the one thing that, um, that we do think, there's certain things about leadership that you can't teach. Some of it's traits, some of it's you know DNA and innate. But there are some things around resiliency that can be developed and learned. And setbacks and obstacles are something that every single one of us face. So how do we, you know, resiliency is not avoiding the sack, as I like to say. It's once you, you know, once you've been sacked, how do you get up, dust yourself off, and, and get going again? So I'd like to ask each of you a question about you know, related to resiliency. Pam, if I can, I'll start with you. Could you share with us a time when you had a setback or an obstacle or, or disappointment, something didn't go the way that you wanted? Um, what was it? What happened? And maybe more importantly, what did you learn, maybe about yourself or about you know the world, or just something that still to this day has informed the way you you deal with setbacks and disappointments? So I'd say that um, well, COVID, the pandemic itself has been uh, interesting. Like you know, there's been some silver linings for it, but I think from a leadership perspective, it's been a interesting setback from where the journey we thought we were on, right? Um, so, you know, I've been in this role for three years and 18 months of it has been a pandemic. And so um, we had, and 2019 for us was like, a, there was a lot going on within our organization and within our medical group. And we were so looking forward to 2020. And I kept telling people, when 2020 comes, we're going to, it was like the fun stuff. We're going to get back to all the great stuff that plans, best laid plans. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and it has been, um, it's, it, there have been so many things that were taken from COVID that we learn and we are embracing a new way of doing things. So I don't want to, um, you know, uh, disregard that, but I will say it was a little bit of a, it took us off track, right? And it also has been a challenge for my teams, you know, I'm very much the, like, hey, look, we can build each other up and we got this. And it has been hard over times for my teams to keep putting teams on their backs to get over the finish line, to just keep going another day um, of ups and downs. And so in that sense, it's been a setback of wasn't what we thought the last 18 months were going to be. Um, but, you know, we always look for what are those things we can take away from it that we should embrace. So it's our digital health. It's like, you know, what do we what do we expand it there? Um, what do we learn about ourselves? Um, you know, one thing that I'll say we we realize is when we're all focused on one thing. That's both as a organization and I think as a as a um, country and the world, which was ending this pandemic. Look what amazing things we could do together, right? And so that is the that was the key to us. We kind of look back and we actually profile what did we accomplish. How do we do it and what do we want to learn from this? And it was that when we are crystal clear on what our, our objective is and we all are alive, lockstep with it, it's pretty powerful what we can do. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Let me ask you the same question. What about an obstacle or disappointment or setback? And what, what did you take from that or learn from that experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, generally speaking, and it's not necessarily me specifically, but in my industry, the biggest setback 
at least for people in my generation in banking was um, you know the financial crisis. You know, so if you think about you know 08, 09, uh, a lot of changes, obviously. Um, and you know, I at the time I saw a lot of colleagues either you know quit and leave to go somewhere else or get out of the industry, or many um, you know were were laid off. Right. So that was probably the setback. And you know, there was a point where. You know, uh, at least in my specific group at the time, it was me and my boss. You know, left, and you know, I think that could have been a very uh, it, it, that could have been a point where I would have made a move myself, but I stuck with it and um, and was able to ride out the next you know 12, 18 months, um, and it ended up being a very interesting time in banking, and it was actually a boom. And if anyone follows the stock market, you know, following that, uh, we've been on a you know big run since then. So I think. Um, you know, I would say generally speaking, that was a big setback. But you know, what I learned, um, you know, from that was be patient. You know, don't make any, um, don't make you know, decisions, uh, you know, too fast. Think about it. Think about it twice, three times, and uh, and stay committed to it. Um, and and that happened to work out well for me at the time. And um, you know, something's worked out. I think the other thing, just on a daily basis, as far as disappointments or setbacks in my job. You know, we are in the transaction business. We're you know chasing you know deals every day, and um, and you lose more than you win, and you have to <laughs> learn every day how to how to deal with that. Uh, but it's also interesting to see um, you know where some of the best relationships you think you have don't always those those decisions and transactions don't always go your way. I think what we realize. At least I've realized in, in my industry is that you know there's a lot of factors that go into making decisions to work with a particular bank on something, right? Um, sometimes it's not just the CEO; they have a board of directors that you know has influence on making decisions. They might have you know someone else on the management team who has a you know has someone better that they'd like to bring in and and, uh, and introduce into the into the mix. And so I think um, it's very easy. In situations like that to lose trust in people but i think what i've learned and still trying to learn every day is that you can't take it personally and you do the best you can and the best thing you can do is move on you know if you sit there and dwell on it um it just slows you down but uh, but that only comes with time and experience but uh but those are you know what i would say will daily setbacks and disappointments you know yeah. in my job yeah thank you but it's really interesting to hear you say that because you think of investment banking, Bank of America, and to hear you say, you know, we lose more than we win, and you lose a lot every day, and you just got to keep moving forward. I think that's a great perspective for all of us yeah. to keep in mind. So let me ask a couple of questions about COVID, and then we're going to open it up for audience Q&A. We'll have some time left for that, and we do have a hard prompt stop at 6.30. Again, the reception will follow upstairs immediately. Um, and Pam, if I can, I'll, I'll start with you on, on this first question about COVID. And we've already touched on it a little bit, but I'm really wanting um, from, from your perspective on the front line of healthcare provider, but also as a leader, a senior leader and president within Navant Healthcare, um, how would you describe the last 18 to, to 24 months and then as a nation, uh, what do you think we should learn from this experience? Because we know that there will be something else around the corner. It may not be a pandemic, but something else. I'd love to hear your perspective about how would you describe the, the COVID pandemic and, and what do you think we've learned collectively? So 
it's been pretty traumatic, I think, in lots of ways, um, ups and downs, you know, challenging um, for our teams from a physician perspective. You know, I think there have been lots of parts of COVID that have been scary, you know, in March of 2020, we really didn't know what we were up against, right? Um, what does this look like? We didn't know we had the right equipment. Um, it was scary having conversations around what if we don't have enough ventilators or what do we do if we run out of masks? It was something we never thought we would be talking about in the United States, you know, with just seems like infinite resources, right? Um, and then I think, you know, there was a period of time where, so I say there's so many ups and downs. There was a period of time where everyone rallied together. The communities rallied around. You saw the healthcare heroes. We had the, you know, the police driving through the hospitals, lifting up our teams, and everyone's just waiting. Yes, we can get through this. So much hope with finally, you know, there's a vaccine. And then um, this year challenging because we hit that wall where all of a sudden it felt like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, it, are we going to get through this? And um, it all goes back. What I think we learned, and Amit just said this, is um, the importance of trust. So when we were trying to, we were educating communities around COVID, there's a lot of distrust that we really came to embrace as something we have to overcome to achieve equity and outcomes in our communities is building trust with um, traditionally underserved communities. Um, when the vaccine was developed, a lot of trust issues and um, what that meant. Even now, I feel like as a society, lots of issues around trust that I think we have to really, really work hard on to rebuild back our society to a point that I think we maybe didn't realize some of the underpinnings had been um, compromised, right? So to me, I think what we've taken away from this is um, that we are committed to and we need to rebuild trust within teams, um, between physicians and patients or physicians and communities, between science and communities, um, and just as human beings, um, and, and the power of being able to have civil discourse where we can truly think through and be the scholars, I think, that some of us, you know, want to be and, and embrace um, different opinions. So that's what I really want to make sure that we don't lose sight of is that we, we, as we move out of this, that we, we seek to really see each other and build trust um, within communities. Excellent. Thank you. You know, listening to that made me think of, uh, there was a historian who talked about some of the differences between Western and Eastern culture, and he said that Eastern culture was much more um, adapted, sort of incremental, consistent improvement, whereas Western culture, especially the U.S., wasn't really that focused or disciplined. But when you needed a silver bullet, like the vaccine, and when you needed something or the atom bomb in the war, whatever it was, you know, or the, app, the iPhone or Apple, you know, that we had these incredible breakthroughs, uh, but we're not really always great at that incremental, steady, consistent. So I think to your point about the trust aspect, you know, rebuilding some of those foundational underpinnings is going to be critical to move forward because we don't know what the next, you know, threat is going to be, but we know what's coming. Thank you, Pam. Uh, Amid, I, let me ask you this, the same question. So, you know, from your perspective, from a financial perspective, investment banking, how would you describe the last 18 to 24 months, and, and what do you think, you know, as a nation that we've learned from this, or should learn from yeah, yeah, so I would say at the beginning of the pandemic, um, things were very slow for me uh, from a work perspective. A lot of uncertainty in our industry, just uh, given where the markets were. And, you know, my 
my line of business is very much driven by the stock market. So, um, so the way you know that the markets behave, you know, drives you know everything else that we do um, in our in our business. Um, I was taking a lot more walks around the neighborhood. Will notice that, yeah. and uh, so uh, you know, so that's that probably lasted about three or four months. I would say, you know, ever since then, I've probably had the busiest eighteen months of my career ever, um, and it's a function of uh, being at your desk twenty four seven. Uh, having Zoom calls back to back, and we're just getting much more done. It's not sustainable, uh, I can tell you that. Uh, but you know, as an industry, we've been much more productive uh, in the last 18 months than ever, and, and that's really demonstrated and shown in just uh, transaction activity and the amount of capital that's been raised in the markets. Uh, so there's just uh, people have just much more access um, to that. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, the, the challenge that we face as an industry is, you know, the economy, um, as we look at it uh, from a banking perspective, has obviously picked up significantly, but there's still a disparity between what we're seeing, you know, on Main Street. And so we always have to find that right balance. Um, I think as, as any institution, banking institution, you always have to find that right balance uh, so that you have the right uh, approach, you know, to community and how you're serving the community. At the same time, you know, watching um, the markets improve the way they have and, and profits improve the way they have. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that uh, in our industry in general, um, you know, many of the banks and firms are, you know, struggling with every day. But I think everyone's trying to do the best they can to bring some of that balance. I think the, um, yeah, as far as, you know, what we've learned in the future, I think healthcare is a, is a bright spot. Uh, in our in, in, in our economy in general, <clears throat> I think if anyone has uh, any interest uh, in getting into healthcare, there's a lot uh, that's going to happen over the next you know couple of decades. I think if you know if we've learned anything is how important um, innovation is, how technology, how important technology is, and you know I think if you if you rewind the clock, you know just a few years ago, uh, there was a lot of you know a lot of rhetoric in the market. Uh, and in the public as far as pharmaceutical companies and drug pricing and you know um, they were always the bad guys you know fast forward is the pharmaceutical industry that's created um, all of these therapeutics and the vaccines and so I think <clears throat> there will always be you know that uh, that sentiment out there but I do think that you know the public in general has probably you know uh, has a much better appreciation for what you know what the industry and healthcare industry can do so I think Investing in healthcare is a great, uh, great thing to do. I think getting into the healthcare field, whether it's on the provider side, whether it's you know helping healthcare companies raise capital so that they can provide the care, create the vaccines, create the drugs. I just think that there's going to be so much uh, innovation in the industry that you really can't lose uh, by uh, by taking the healthcare industry as a career path. Thank you. Let me ask you a follow-up to that because since really December of 19. Uh, there's been this sort of trepidation that the market's going to come back, or the market's going to reset. We're going to have a, uh, the housing market's going to slow down. You know, things are going to cool down, and it hasn't. Uh, right. From your seat, from your perspective, you talked a little bit about finding the balance between Wall Street and Main Street. If you looked into a crystal ball, what what what, what do you see? Okay. Yeah. And this is not a Bank of America point of view. So this is no me point of view. But um, you know, I would say that. Uh, 
you know, if, if anyone's followed what's happened in the last 12 to 18 months, there has been a significant amount of, you know, liquidity that's gone into our market. And uh, when you have that kind of capital, you know, the government pumping that kind of capital into our economy, um, you know, by definition, I think you're going to see a prolonged period of, um, you know, prosperity from that perspective. Again, you know, try to separate, you know, what's happening on Main Street and what's happening on Wall Street. But I think there's just so much uh, capital that's in the marketplace. And, you know, that translates to, you know, home prices. It translates to everything, you know, that we do. So I think that um, we're probably going to be in this kind of environment uh, for another few years is my personal yep. opinion. Um, and, you know, we're always going to have to deal with certain things as it relates to inflation or whatever happens on the geopolitical uh, level. Uh, but it's it's really hard to deny, um, you know, the uh, the capital infusion that's gone into this country, into our economy, and, and what that implies for um, for growth. Thank you. So, Pam, let me ask you this this question about sort of looking into your healthcare crystal ball, and, and after this, we'll open it up to audience Q and A. But if you were looking into the future again from a healthcare provider perspective, but also uh, as a senior leader in the bond. But what do you see in, in our future? Uh, and I think I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about, you know, are we are we finally on the other side? What's your what's your take? I wish I had a crystal ball. I, I do think you know a lot of um, a lot of positive things related to increasing vaccination rates. Um, actually treatment options, you know, we all, what made um, the uh, COVID different was we did not have a way initially to even mitigate like the loss, right? Um, so if we can treat people more easily, detect it, have testing, all those things are there. I do believe we're going to be on the other side. And so 2022 is our year to hopefully unmask and really get there at some point, right? I think a lot of people are saying that it's just about when in 2022. Um, I think that the word in healthcare for the future, and I know that people overuse it, but it is innovation, right? Um, whether it's forced because there are people who are saying, hey, look, why don't you do this differently? Um, there's a lot of that, and we embrace that. I mean, we um, realize that we have a traditional way of delivering healthcare that hasn't really been re, hasn't been reevaluated or evolved for what people expect. One, the digital age, you know, just the way that we live and work, um, and it's going to be about relationships and partnerships. Um, there are lots of people who have gotten into the healthcare space and realized it is not easy. Um, it is complex. The regulations, the safety, quality, the payment aspects of like, you know, um, it's easy to go after all of you insured patients, but then what about the communities that need um, care and who takes care of the community, right? And so it's going to be about partnerships and, and um, whole communities coming together to take care of um, each other. I, I was just thinking, you've got to have a, a special sort of sense of not pride, but satisfaction, just that, you know, you, you are in your community, you know, sort of where, where you are leading, you know, healing the community. So you're a part of a community, but you're also on the front line of healing it and being so, so and, and read your bio, we can see you know, the commitment you have to that community. That's got to be, I would think, gratifying. With all the challenges of COVID, it's still got to be especially a different level, I would think, of gratification. I, I would say, but it's a blessing. Like, I don't think that everyone 
like has the opportunity to be part of something where this, um, I would say, the sense of purpose and fulfillment that we have in healthcare when you know things are going well, I, it's not something everyone has, and um, so it is a blessing that that's what gets us through our days. Um, our team yesterday were out doing swabbing um, some vets for honor flights that they were about to embark on. And they said, it filled my cup. It was the most rewarding thing we did. We opened the vaccine sites and I was there the first day and there were like, you know, 80 year old couples who were there and excited because they saw, they wanted to be there early because they thought, they're like, we have been out of our house and this gives us hope, right? And it just, it warms our hearts. I mean, that's why we get into, um, you know, healthcare is to, help others. If we wanted to be super rich, we would have invested in But, you know, we, we, we know we serve our purpose, but it does. It gets us through the hard times. Well, you're right about the, the I remember when Aaron and I went and got our Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine shot. Thanks to you. We were at, uh, and we went to that, the Haynes Mall, I think. Mean, it was, and I'm way Southern Baptist, and I said, this was like a revival. I mean, people that you didn't know were high-fiving and not getting it. There was, I was looking for the covered dish. I thought they should have gone down. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. All right, thank you both so much. Let's, let's, let's open it up for some audience Q&A. We do have a little bit of time for some questions, so let's see if we, yes, sir, back here in the back. Alfredo. Yeah. I, know I, have a microphone, but, uh, um, I know you talked a little bit about the Right, managing people through this time, trying to keep them engaged and connected. And I think we all have a lot of mental issues like lately and burnout. And I was curious how you guys have handled you know, some of that in both different industries. So let me repeat that for those that are live streaming. So the question was given different industries, when we talk about leading and managing others, and there's been a tremendous mental and emotional strain and burnout, and we're hearing more and more about that. So from your relative perspectives, how do you all try to manage that? Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, um, we have, first, we really emphasize supporting each other. So um, with amongst our leadership teams, whether it's a peer support, like check on each other, you know, um, uh, we really emphasize that. Uh, there were times in, I swear, in um, March, I think it felt like I was on call because it was, you know, sun up, sun down, every day, seven days a week. I mean, there's probably a month where I don't think our team took a day, like, without spending hours and hours together because we were trying to figure out what to do to make care safe. And it was exhausting. And we knew we could do it short term, but we could not sustain that. And so after we got through that period, we really started checking on each other, saying, you have to take vacation. You know, I need you to take a day off. Uh, let's divide and conquer um, because that it was like what can we do to fill our cups and we also try to spread that like what are the fun things that we can do that kind of help reinvigorate us um, we focus a lot like you know obviously we deliver um, you know uh, mental health uh, uh, care to our communities and we tapped into that and, and set up ways for our teams or our physicians to have a um, easy button to get care where they needed it and we are because we have such an um, amazing team you know we did moments where we um, checked in with people or did zooms people could pop in and be part of this thriving together where we kind of like said come it, was, it, could be a, it could be a prayer, it could be just a meditation, but something where people felt like they were part of a, a greater community. Um, and we're still working on it because there are parts of our teams where they've seen loss beyond what most people ever imagined. Um, and so we're trying to figure out how to make sure we truly are personalizing their needs 
compared to those you know who are just tired and burnt out and, and struggling in some way. Yeah, for us it's a similar in our industry. We've been, um, you know, we've all been doing better job at is really communicating, you know, with our with our colleagues, uh, in particular those that are you know uh, younger and just. You know, again, they're not sitting in an office right now. They're working 12, 15-hour days in their apartment uh, and having check-in calls three times a week. Um, you know, we are, you know, being a bit more uh, focused on uh, kind of forced, um, you know, days off during the week where you can't, you know, ask an analyst or associate to um, to do anything uh, to take, you know, forced to take those days off. So it, I think what we realize is just having more communication. Checking in, calling them up, just talking about whatever, um, and you know, trying to provide that human touch, you know, over the phone rooms. That's a great question, uh, Alfredo. Thank you for that. I, um, we are just about out of time, and I have a hard stop at six thirty. I made a commitment to the faculty here who have a class. Um, so, what I'd like to do, if you've got a question and we didn't get to it, and I'm sure that's the case. Um, I, you're going to be able to stay with us for a little bit. I think upstairs at the reception. I don't know how long you'll be here, but. If you have a question, please feel free to ask uh, Dr. Oliver or me uh, once we get upstairs. And I would ask you, though, just as a little bit of housekeeping, when we say um, when we say goodnight from here, if you, if you have a question, please uh, hold that till you get upstairs because we can't get up if there's a convergence coming down. So we ask for you to, to please um, exit up and we'll see you there. But I did want to ask you all for one last question, and it's the advice. It, it could be on any career, life, anything at all that is something that has helped you or something that you share often, um, we would love to have that. So you've got a captive audience. And Pam, if I can, I'll start with you. Is there any advice that you would share with this audience? Yeah, I'd say um, a couple of things. I'd say one, like I mentioned um, uh, before about finding that purpose is important. Like, I mean, jobs are important. We all want to get paid, but I would say, like, chase happiness, right? Redefine what it means to be happy wherever you are and assess, constantly check in on that. Um, and the other thing I say is don't be afraid to pivot. And I think Omi, like earlier, pointed out, like he thought he was going to be a physician, then he got his right mind and said maybe law school, then he got his right mind and said no, right? Um, but don't be afraid to pivot because you're, it's never too late to adjust and change if something's not working for you and um, do everything you can to keep your options open. And um, just that constant check-in on yourself is really important. Um, and because I'm such a big uh, you know, believer in the community, build that community, right? So you always have someone that is looking out for you and has your best interest at heart. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, I would agree with Pamela. Um, change is a good thing. Um, you know, it, you don't want to do it every day, uh, at least in your career. Uh, but I, I think uh, we all need to be invigorated, you know, uh, throughout our career and don't be afraid of change. I think it's a, it's a great thing. The other thing, um, you know, is just be optimistic. Um, I have a tendency of sometimes just getting just too, you know, just down in the weeds and too worried about things. And um, and my wife has always uh, been a great, you know, the advice, the best advice she's always given me is just be optimistic about, you know, the future, be optimistic about where you are today. And uh, things will work out and it'll come and go and tomorrow's a new day. And, and it's, uh, it's worked out for me in, in the business. Thank you. Thank you both. Please join me and thank you.